Welcome to our last Tuesday of the month book discussion. Just a couple of librarians talking about books we think others might enjoy. October's read is The Mad Women's Ball by Victoria Mass. Spoiler alert, we usually end up discussing endings and key plot points. I'm Amy, and joining me today is Jenny, director at the North Liberty Library. Welcome. Hello. Good to have you here. Thanks for coming. If folks at home have not read this book already, I'm just going to give a brief overview. This is a historical fiction book that takes place in 1880s France, and there is a hospital that treats, I think, all women. Mm -hmm. So all of their patients are female, and it's head by a main doctor who performs quite a bit of experimentation, I guess, or scientific research. hypnosis. Yes. Hypnosis seems to be the main form of treatment in the storyline, although there's kind of other things also explored. But this is the first time I've read a book that has anything like this, and I found it super fascinating, especially coming from a perspective that is not designated like in the United States. Right, and it's also fictionalized versions of historical characters. See, like I didn't the doctor, know that. Yeah, in the notes at the back, which I was reading as I was trying to brush up because I also read it a while ago. Well, now I feel underprepared for that. But I will say that that fact makes a lot of sense because I do remember like reading about specific doctors in Paris specifically that were doing things like this. And I'm curious as to like how much of it is actually historical as far as like the doctors and the fact that they had women just on display, like you were talking about. Yes. Um, exploited. And it seems that throughout this story, which makes sense historically, there weren't any men other than the doctors really involved. It was like society brushing their hands of these women entirely. Yes. So they were deemed hysterical or uncontrollable for whatever viewpoints they expressed that weren't the norm. Luis, who is also a historical figure and actually did escape spoiler alert, (laughs) that happens at the end of this book. One of the main folks that we follow throughout this story escapes the hospital where she was being kept against her will after trying several times to convince people that she did not belong there. As Jenny mentioned, she's placed in there because her family found out that she can talk to dead people or spirits come to her. And she confided that in her grandmother and then her grandma told her father who had her carried off to this hospital and it seems really traumatizing for only one other person in their family which turns out to be her brother so i think he's the only other male that we really get any type of feeling for yeah so eugenie is she claims to see ghosts or that she can talk to ghosts her grandfather particularly and her grandmother she thinks is someone she can trust she's got a pretty close relationship with her and then she betrays her with telling her father who is definitely the patriarch and her brother unwillingly sort of helps bring her to the hospital tricks her i found myself cringing and feeling this like 
sense of horror, like, oh no, what terrible thing's going to befall her next? There's a lot of veiled things where the doctors take advantage of the women in the facility, particularly Louisa, you mentioned, and take advantage of her. She's the beautiful one who's there because she's been taken advantage of by others outside, and then she comes in. And then Eugenie, who is brought in by her brother and her father. There's a lot of characters, even though, yeah, most of them are women. And Louise also has a pretty big role, I think, to play. I mean, she's the end of the story in the epilogue. That's probably where the confusion is, because even though she's not central, she is treated as central in pieces of it. And as we find out, like, through learning about a couple of other characters, there's another character in the book who is an older woman, And she kind of is a grandmotherly figure to a lot of the women there and has been there for many years and was also victimized by men. And she ultimately killed the main man in her life who was victimizing her and then was put in the hospital. So it made it also very clear what types of behaviors were and weren't acceptable and who they weren't acceptable for and who had credibility in that time. As we're going through a period in history in the United States where we're talking about women's rights and how those are affected in our democracy, it's really eye-opening but earth-shattering and just, it kept me thinking, for sure. Yeah, that some things, I mean, really, in some ways haven't changed. And I've read articles from political figures, women who are strong women, or what we consider strong women, who then say that they were, you know, accused of being too masculine or accused of being too gruff to be in politics or too hysterical or loud or whatever. And I think, yeah, we see these direct things happening in the 1800s that relate to things that are happening even now in the way women can be undermined. And I don't think it's, I mean, obviously not the same level of prevalence today, but we do see similar things from strong women or women who have positions of power that they're considered, you know, mean or too aggressive or whatever, because where a man in that same role, like the doctor, are revered and whatnot. And are kind of patted on the back for speaking out when they have opinions. Whereas, you know, like you said, women may have to either feel like they have to go about a certain way, lest they be like told to be quiet, (laughs) or even just fear of other types of less direct reprisals and consequences for being themselves and having opinions. And the ball was weird. Like the concept behind the title is that they have this ball where the women in the hospital dress up and are then put on display for the high society folks to come in and mingle with and be afraid of and peruse and all the weird things that go along with it. It's such an odd concept. And I don't know if there's any historical background of that. I didn't read into that to see, but it's a strange idea that the mentally ill were put on display like circus, which is what this is. It's very dark. It is. It has a horror mm-hmm, feel to mm-hmm. it. And I didn't expect that from this book, to be honest. I mean, you can kind of maybe get that from the cover maybe a little bit, but I definitely went into this thinking, oh, historical fiction. Okay. it's Yeah. It's kind of got a little bit of a dark topic, but she really leaned into that darkness and that mm-hmm. slightly horrific aspect of it, even though Generally, we think of horror as being kind of a subgenre of fantasy. This is definitely horror in a like, historical fiction factual sense, mm-hmm. which is probably 
even creepier, in my opinion. <laughs> well, it is when you think it's closer to reality than we yes. like to think. Yes. <laughs> I read that it's been made into or has been made into a movie. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if it's out yet even. I don't think it is. I didn't look that up either, but I'm very curious now. And I love historical fiction, and I thought it was really well done. I thought Victoria Moss did a great job with the characterization, particularly the characters. You feel a lot for her brother. I mean, torn between following his father's wishes and helping his sister, who he doesn't believe is crazy and shouldn't be there. Speaking of it being potentially a really good movie, I would love to see this as a play. I think that that would be oh yeah, like on stage theater that that could be really fantastic. Probably harder to do than a movie because of the ballroom scene. I feel like might be a little difficult, but I think that would be pretty fantastic. So part of the ball piece is that all the ladies make their own costumes, as they call them, or their dresses. They are actually like dressing up as characters. They don't call it a costumed ball because they seem to be the only people dressed up as Mm -hmm. characters, which gave it another level of weird for me. And like you said, kind of like on display, it kind of made that even more evident because we assume that those kind of higher class people who are attending as outsiders aren't dressed up in a costume. It's just their regular evening attire, it appears. They talk about one of the girls dressing up as like a Spanish dancer Mm -hmm. or Spanish lady. I don't know if that is to give them like a way to stand out additionally. I don't know. I thought that was a interesting addition to that. Yeah, I mean, and then I think it's interesting because some of the characters actually want to be there. Like you talked about, I think her name is Therese, the older woman who kind of mothers everyone. I think that's her name. And she doesn't want to go. I mean, she feels safe there because she was so victimized in the outside world. And I think also Genevieve, it's an escape for her there, the nurse. And that's the irony at the end, obviously, which I'm not going to give that little piece away. But I just love the last sentence in the main part of the book before the epilogue, which is existence is fascinating, don't you think? I was like, oh, wow. This was the first thing I'd ever read by this author. I don't know what other books she may have out. Oh, yeah. she wrote The Girl on the Train. I did not even know that. And that actually, I've not read that book. Yeah, I haven't read it either, but I've heard it's very, very popular. Yes, it is. I would probably read future stuff by her too. Historical novels can be really dense and thick, and this was very short in comparison, but it still really gave you a feeling of being there and being present in that space. So I really appreciated that part of that too. Because sometimes I feel like you can get bogged down in historical fiction. Yeah, this is a shorter read for folks who want that. In between when you're reading all those other things, need something that'll only take you a few hours. Well, I know that you read a lot of historical fiction. Was there anything that this book reminded you of that you would recommend to readers? There's a book. I think it's called 1000 White Women. I don't know that we have it at the library anymore, but it's literally the fictional account of a thousand women who were basically married to Native Americans. I mean, married off to them. And it's not the same at all, but it felt the same kind of horrific feeling. And I actually kept having to remind myself that it was fictional, which is also something I felt with this, which is probably where I'm drawing that parallel is I just felt like, wow, I had to keep going back and say, okay, this is fiction. This isn't real. But it is based on a real thing, a similar situation that happened, I believe. So it's a fictional account of it. Yes. So I found that book that you're talking about, 1000 White Women, you're correct. And it's by Jim Fergus. If anybody wants to check that out, There is a book that I want to recommend, and it has less to do with that kind of horror historical fiction appeal, but it does have to do with 
women's rights and autonomy, and it's by Louise Erdrich, and it was one of her more recent ones. I'm trying to find the title. A different book that's completely different, but it brings up a point here, is actually a juvenile nonfiction book that I loved, and it's called Phineas Gage. There's a longer piece to it, but it's literally about the beginning of brain science that I think draws from this with the hypnosis and what Dr. Charcot does in the book, and how early science and early medicine made me think of that book because Phineas Gage was injured in an accident with a tamper from a railroad, went through his brain, and he walked down the street with that tamper in his head and he lived for 11 years with a very changed personality. And I found that book fascinating. It's a short read, but it's so interesting. And I am not a huge fan of nonfiction typically, but I loved that book. And it will always stand with me because it was so well-written. I think Erin has mentioned that one to me before too, and I know she loves nonfiction. So I finally found it. The Louise Erdick book that I wanted to recommend, it's called Future Home of the Living God. And it's much more sci-fi and it takes place in the future, but it is wholly about women's rights in a time, again, in the future, that it has become very hard for female humans to get pregnant because of environmental and other factors that humans have created. And so now it's very hard for women to get pregnant. And the main character is a pregnant woman. And so it's kind of about her trying to navigate still having freedom in this world, because in this book, there are organizations within the government that are trying to make sure that they round up all the pregnant females and all the women who are able to give birth. And it's very interesting. Hmm. I have not read that one, so I'll have to put that one on my list. She's one of my favorite authors, so any excuse to talk about her, I love it. So, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Next month, I'll be back with Marta from Hiawatha Public Library to discuss the Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. Hope we'll see you all again.